0: There it is. This youth minister said, I got some guys calling me that want to hang out with me. I mean, he's just he's confessing to these other youth ministers, probably five of us in the room. And he said, uh, man, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have time for any more friendships. I got all the friendships I want. I got all the friendships I need. I don't have time for any more. Now, would anybody say that today? Anybody have more friendships than you could possibly need? Let me see your hand. You can be honest. This is is a place where you can be honest. Okay, if you don't, if you can't say that, if if you would like more friends, because here's what we've said since the beginning of this church. People aren't looking for a friendly church. People are looking for friends. When people get connected to other people in our church, they stay. When they don't get connected, they don't stay. I mean, it's just that simple. And we've designed small groups so that you can get connected. Um, there's all kinds of different things that, that we try to do. We go to the lake so we can play and have fun together. We, we have uh, Connect Forward tournaments so we can have fun together. Next week, we have the small group Olympics. And even if you're not in a small group, we'll attach you to one today. And then next week, you can play. You're supposed to bring a picnic lunch next week for you, plus and at plus one, in case somebody forgets, because somebody always forgets. Um, and then we're going to go out in the, in the grassy area outside the grassy knoll and we're going to do all kinds of games. You know, we're going to do the three-legged race, but we got some other stuff. Non, I mean, it is competitive, but it's not, you don't have to be, you know, an athlete to be able to play and stuff like that. So we're going to have a lot of fun. These, today and next week is all about getting connected with people. Because, honestly, I don't know many folks who have too many good friends. And that's what we're trying to do is is trying to make the place, the church, your family, the friends that you want to hang out with. And so when we think about that, actually, when you think about that, I want you to think of this. No skill involved They don't know the problems i solve. My next move here Is my next move there I'm getting so stressed I think I'm losing my head. Losing to I connect four and You connect three I'm Crazy if you can think you're better than me I'll crush anyone Who comes to the door You connect me and I'll connect four You can be red and I can be black And I'm a world champ, better watch your back I could close my eyes and I would still win Connect four, let's do it again You connect four, and you connect three. Crazy if you think you're better than me. I'll crush anyone who comes to the door, and you connect three. I pick the black, I come in with my sneaky tag, yeah, drop your tickets into the slot, you can't make a line, or make a block, I got my money in the fame from the game, when you step to the table, I put you to shame, I'm a hardcore connector, diagonal, respect the connect four, I'm like a hand of a laptop. Not connect four, you connect three, you're crazy if you think you're better than me, I'll crush anyone comes to the door, you connect. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we got to give him a hand for that, gotta give them a hand. And uh, just so you know, um, they will be at the back signing autographs afterwards. <laughs> We have a table set up here. We do have uh, an autographed copy of Connect Four as well. The champion not only gets the gas cards and the uh, Six Flags tickets, but you get, um, you get the autographed copy of Connect Four. So uh, I should know better than to try to preach after that. But here we go. We're going to give it a try. Now, if you would think there was ever a couple that had the opportunity to connect, you would think that it would be. The first couple, Adam and Eve, perfect relationship. I want you to think about this. They had a climate controlled paradise that meant no bills to pay. God took care of the AC and the heating, and so there were no bills to argue over. They they had no job to keep Adam late at work. They had uh, no physical defects to get in the way of their romance. They had no television programs to distract them. They had no clothes to choose from. So the lady never said, I don't have anything to wear. They just didn't wear anything at all. Um, No bad memories or scars from previous relationships. No one else to compare to. No children to interrupt them and no in-laws to offer advice. woo yeah. If ever there was a recipe for the perfect connection, it would be Adam and Eve. You would think they had it. But the fact is, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin entered into their relationship. And something that had never been seen on the face of the earth came into relationships as well. First one on your listening guide. Fear causes us to disconnect from others. Very first emotion that they had, other than all the pleasurable emotions, was fear when they disobeyed God. The moment they disobeyed God, they became disconnected because fear entered their relationship. Fear disconnects us in three ways. The first way, fear makes us defensive. Fear makes us defensive. I think y'all are going to identify with this pretty well. It's kind of interesting to me that this is the first couple, the case study in Scripture. When Adam and Eve didn't do what God said, they sinned. Fear entered the relationship. They immediately started blaming each other. And have you ever done that? Have you ever... We, We excuse and accuse. Have you ever excused your own actions while accusing someone else? It's not my fault... If you hadn't done fill in the blank, then I wouldn't have responded that way. We excuse and accuse all the time. And it's not a new thing. The Very first couple did it. Genesis 3:12 and 13. After they sinned, Adam said, you gave me this woman. Who is he blaming? God. Dudes alone hanging out with a bunch of farm animals. God makes the perfect woman as soon as there's any bit of trouble. He says, it's your fault, God. You gave. He wouldn't even call her by name. Do you realize that? This woman. You gave me this woman. And he says, and she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. That's his excuse. He excuses himself and accuses his wife. He took it like a man. He blamed his wife. Yeah, we've been doing that ever since. Eve replied, the snake tricks me. And for 2,000 years, actually longer than that, because Genesis was written about four to 5,000 years ago. For four to 5,000 years, scholars have been debating whether she meant Adam or the reptile there. (laughs) Ever since this first relationship, men have been blaming their wives and wives have been calling men snakes. I mean, it just, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Second thing fear does is it makes us distant, makes us distant. When you fear your faults, you're afraid to admit those things. You become very distant. You won't let people get close to you. You wear a mask, we call it hypocrisy. And I know couples that have been married 10, 20, 30 years who are so afraid to take off that mask and reveal themselves to their spouse that, that uh, it's it's incredible. And you know what? There's a term for a marriage like that where you can't be honest, where you can't open up to your spouse. You know what it is? Misery. <laughs> that That's not a good relationship to be in. And again, we see this in the first couple. Genesis 3.10. Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He ran from the scene. Notice it was the man who ran first. Ladies, are going, uh huh. We knew that. We do this all the time. We hurl at other people and we hide from ourselves and from other people, thinking they don't see our faults, thinking they don't see our fears, and really we're just we're we're kind of like little children. Everybody sees through it except us. Now, he hid first because he felt exposed. And man, we are particularly good at running from our feelings. Anytime you start getting emotional, that's why we don't like chick flicks or we say we don't. Really down deep, you know, guys kind of like it when the couple gets together. We're just frustrated. It takes so stinking long for the couple to get together. If we wrote it ten minutes, we'd be done. You know, we'd be having something to eat. But... Um But, you know, we run from our feelings. That's that's the problem. We become too cool and detached and we seem insincere. Now, guys, I've noticed something. If we were more self starters when it came to this idea of sharing our feelings as as difficult and as as disgusting as that feels to you. If we were self starters, a lot less women would be cranky. Is that right, ladies? Because why do you cranky? Somebody said, amen. Thank you. Someone's listening. Because what, is, what does that woman want to know? She wants to know that you're afraid. But guys, we are so scared of our feelings. Um, we just don't want people to know that we're hurt. Have you ever played this game? Um, is something wrong? Nope. Everything's just fine. And this could go either way. This is not just guys. This goes guys to the ladies, too. I, <laughs> y'all were waiting on that, weren't you? You say, I can tell something's wrong. Nope, 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 nothing wrong with me. Mm-mm, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And did I hurt your feelings? <clears throat> you didn't hurt my feelings. You know, it's like we put up this wall. I got, I'm, I'm iron, I'm brick. You can't hurt me. <laughs> why, do I, why do I not want you to hurt? Because it hurt and I don't want you to know that I hurt. Because I don't want you to have that kind of control in my life. I don't want you to, to know I'm vulnerable. Another feeling that we hate to admit is anger. I can tell you're angry. I am not angry. Baby, you're you're angry. I am not angry. <laughs> Veins are about to pop out your neck and we're going to have to go to the hospital. I can tell you're angry. Well, we just don't. Some people stuff it inside. Some people are like, nope, nope, I'm not going to tell you because I'm they're a stuffer. Other people are just waiting for the right moment, you know, until the nitroglycerin is ignited or whatever. And they're just going to vent all over the place. They're going to they're going to vomit emotions all over you now. Studies have shown that the healthiest families are not the families that just vomit their emotions all over the place and have these big fights all of the time. Studies have also shown that it's not the people who never have any conflict that are the healthiest families. The healthiest families, according to the studies, are those who have occasional conflict, but they know how to handle the conflict. They know how to fight fair. Now, we won't see a a raise of hands, and I don't want to see any elbows going right now, but most of us do not know how to fight fair. When we get in a fight, we get defensive, and we start uh, attacking where we know it will do the most damage. The, the healthiest families are those who fight fair. They know you can grow from conflict. Conflict does not have to be negative. We're the ones that make it negative. And so if we learn, we actually get to intimacy, where we really want to be. Intimacy happens when we are honest with each other, not when we're hiding our feelings and all of those types of things. Now, there's a, there's a third thing that fear does, and it makes us demanding. Fear makes us demanding. When we lose... When we fear losing our freedom, that makes us demanding. Now, this is a real big one, so I want you to pay attention here. Fear and insecurity demand that I be in control. The more insecure I am as a person, the more I have to be in control. And the other side of that is true. The more secure I am as a person, the less I have to be in control. I don't need it. But if I'm insecure, if I'm fearful, if I think that you are trying to control me in any way, whether you are or not, it just may be my perception, then I have to roar or do something to get the situation back in, in my control. And see, I demand my rights, and rights get us in all kinds of trouble. Uh, if you ever want to know about rights... Just read Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 4 and go through 11, where Jesus gave up the rights of being equal with God and took on the very nature of a servant, became a human, and became obedient unto death. Anytime you think you got rights, go to chapter 2 of Philippians and start reading about Jesus. Because rights get us in all kinds of trouble. Now, sin destroyed that first relationship and thus began the battle of the sexes. Again, y'all were all not even born yet. But back in the '70s, they actually had this this um, game show called The Battle of the Sexes, and man, it was it it got dirty when they when they would be fighting with each other to show who was supreme, men or women. But look at Genesis three sixteen. Here's actually where it started. Then God said to the woman, "You will greatly desire your husband, but he will rule over you." Now, guys, before you misuse that, let me explain something here. This was not God's original ideal. When God created men and women, He created us to complement one another, not to compete against each other. There was this perfect balance in the Garden of Eden. And God desired it that way for men and women. But when sin entered the world, that's when this stuff happened. When junk Happened it's not God's ideal and we've got to work very hard to get over um, Some of the differences that we have we got to remember go back to this first couple and we're re- Remember that God created us different for a purpose men and women are different anybody notice that men and women are different um, God created us that way to complement one another our DNA is different the way we think is different That's why there's eight million books out there on how men and women are different because we're different So we don't need to try to be the same. God created us for a different role. And sin messed that up. And here's the deal. Here's what I've seen in most marriages. Most battles in marriage reveal two very insecure people trying to take control. That's just, that's reality. There's a constant battle and what it reveals is insecurity on one or both sides. Now, if this is true, if fear is what disconnects us from the people we want to be connected to, what is the key? What is the antidote? Well, here it is. The key to reconnecting is honesty. And, you know, if you wanted a magic pill today, I don't have one of those, but I can tell you what God's word teaches us. Honesty is the first step. Fear makes us dishonest. And when we hide our feelings, when we hide our faults, when we hide all of this stuff, it destroys our relationship because we're being dishonest. Now, here's the key, key verse, First John 1, 7. If we live in the light as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. You might circle that word fellowship, and let me explain what that means. Fellowship is another word for connecting. Fellowship is what we're pursuing in our small groups. Um, I had great fellowship with, with a couple of families when we went to Port Arthur on a mission trip because we hung out together for six days. We went crab fishing together, a lot of fun, wasn't it, Haley. I mean, I have all kinds of memories from that. We had fun. We ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. We built stuff together. Uh, some of them did vacation Bible school together. We had six days together where we connected. And we have a different level of relationship because of that. I also have a different level of relationship with people in my small group. Because in my mind, I see the times that we're together in my living room or somebody else's living room, just eating, laughing, doing stuff together together. Studying God's word, but then praying together. One of the most meaningful things to me is when I get to pray with my small group, our hearts get connected. And I leave that encounter just a little bit fuller, a little bit more looking like Christ than when I went in. And that's the whole purpose of connection. See, we say it all the time around here. We say you can worship in a crowd. It's close to 80 people in here today. You can worship when there's 80 people around, but you can't fellowship when there's 80 people around. Even if you're sitting next to somebody, you're not fellowshipping right now. We're gathered together so that we can tell God, God, you're awesome. We can't do life without you. We need to hear from you so that our lives can be better. We need to connect with you, God, so that life will go better. That's what worship is. But real fellowship happens in small groups. Fellowship happens at Celebrate Recovery every Sunday night. Last Sunday night, there were ten men downstairs, um, eight or ten women up here. I don't have a clue what the women do. The women don't have a clue what we do. But we sat around and we shared how God. we'd seen God's grace in our lives. We had some teaching in the large group, some song time. Then we went downstairs and we just said, the one question was, how have you seen God's grace in your life? Because the teaching was on grace. And I was amazed. I mean, my jaw was almost hitting the ground as... As man after man goes around the circle and shares God's grace in his life. And most of us had to say, you know, it's God's grace that even we're alive. It's God's grace that we're here. It's God's grace that I'm sharing with you. (laughs) You know, that I'm opening up to you and telling you about my dark side. Because we all have a dark side. That's the type of connection we so desperately want with God and with others. It was designed in us when God created us in our mother's womb. Now, if we want to live in the light... The Bible teaches that true intimacy happens in the light, not in the darkness. What the world will tell you is true intimacy happens in the darkness. When you go behind closed doors and you turn it, that's not true. True intimacy happens in the light. If we walk in the light, if we live in the light, the Bible says, as God is in the light, we have fellowship, connection with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's where connection happens. That's where we get forgiveness from sins. That's how we get uh, uh, that's how we gain power over the things that have had power over us in our past. Is we bring it out into the light. James says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you you may be healed. We don't do enough confessing. Now, I'm not saying standing up here because I had somebody say, I am not about to stand up in front of the whole church and tell my stuff. This this was a guy last week. He said, I'm not going to tell everybody, but I can tell you guys in this small group. I'm talking about finding some safe people that you can be yourself with. And those folks will love you for you. There is nothing else like it. You can't find it outside the walls of the church. God designed the body of Christ to be like that. And when the body of Christ is functioning right, there is nothing like it. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. People are drawn. And I don't know how many times I've heard people say, this is my family and I miss it when I'm gone. I miss you desperately when I'm gone. I love my mom, my dad, my sister, my brothers, love them all. But this is where I'd rather be this morning than hanging out with them because God has connected my heart with your hearts. Great relationships are built on trust. And there is no trust without truth. So you got to learn to be honest. You don't trust people who lie to you, do you? No? So, here's what we say all the time too. Trust takes a long time to build, but it takes twice as long to rebuild. If someone violates your trust, you are not going to automatically trust them. And that's something you got to understand. Forgiveness does not equal trust. If you wreck my truck... Not a big deal. But if you wreck my truck, I can forgive you for wrecking my truck. But the next time you ask for my vehicle, I'm probably not going to toss you the keys. Hadn't you forgive me. Yeah, but I don't trust you because you haven't see the difference there. Okay. so it starts with being honest. You got to be honest about your fears. And that's scary. Honest about your faults. Honest about your feelings. Here's here's kind of a key to celebrate recovery. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Say that with me. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. Say it again. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. The reason some of you keep repeating the same mistakes over and over is because you've never been honest with another person. You've never been honest with God and said, here's where I screw up. Will you pray with me so that I can be healed? Now, you've got to be honest with God. You've got to be honest with yourself. And you have to be honest with whoever it is you're trying to connect with. If you're not honest, there will not be connection. There. All right. So fear causes us to disconnect from folks. Second thing is pride causes us to disconnect with others. Have you noticed every time you get into a conflict, pride seems to rear its ugly head? Egos start to collide and sparks fly. Proverbs 13.10 says pride only leads to an argument, to arguments. Lots of folks should memorize that verse on their honeymoon because it sure seems that Conflict starts early in a lot of marriages, right? I mean, we're laughing, but you get two imperfect people and you put them together 24-7. The reason you got along so well when you were dating is because you got to go home at night. You got distance from them. But when you're married, you go to bed with the one who's causing you stress and strife. That's a recipe for disaster if you don't learn to deal with your pride, with your ego. Pride keeps us from uh, hearing each other. When we're prideful, we think we know it all. See if you've had this scenario before. I'm full of pride. You're trying to tell me about something. And I cut you off in mid-sentence because I think I know where you're going. And I don't like where you're going, so I'm going to tell you. You shouldn't think like that. You should think like this. You shouldn't feel like that. You should feel like this because that's how I feel. And I don't even listen to you. Ever had anybody do that to you? Uh Uh-huh. Have you ever done that to anybody? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, we don't like to say, oh yeah, somebody did it to me, but ooh, I didn't do it, yeah. Now, we've heard the saying that love blinds. That's not true. Love isn't blind, but, but pride is. Pride blinds us to our own faults. It blinds us to our weaknesses. It blinds me to the fact that sometimes I'm the whole problem. There are times I'm part of the problem, but there's more times that I'm it. I'm the whole problem, and my pride keeps me from admitting that, and your pride does too. Jesus once said to some people, before you go worrying about that little tiny speck of dust in your neighbor's eye, why don't you get that telephone pole sticking thing out of your own eye? Now, he wasn't saying don't judge others. What he was saying was deal with that big honking stuff sticking out of your life, and then maybe you can see see clearly to love someone else. Jesus was perfect. He didn't run around casting judgment. He went around spreading grace to others. And it seems that that grace changed people. Criticism ever change you? Not me, because I'm proud. (laughs) Grace will change me, though. You pour grace on me, my heart will melt. I've seen my wife reach out to people who are are hard-hearted. When she was a teacher in, in Mansfield she called me and says, Drug dealers just came into my office and they just poured out their heart to me. Why? <laughs> and I said, one, because you'll listen. But two, I think it's your spiritual gift of mercy. Because this one guy, no, no lie, this one guy was in her... The first day he was in her class, she taught home economics. And the first day she calls me, she goes, I think this guy's going to kill me because I think he's in a gang and he's a drug head and he looks really mean. He's going to kill me. Three weeks later, he's in, his, he's in her office... Say, so, Miss Washburn, can I talk to you? And pouring out all of his problems to her. She didn't criticize him. She, she poured grace on him and it melted his hard heart. And that's what God wants us to do. Pride keeps us from doing that. It's just the opposite of it. You know, pride keeps us from resolving conflict when, uh, when we've been in conflict. I'm not making the first move. She did it. He did it. I am not about to do that. Let's just call it what it is. Arrogance. Conceit. Ego. Pride, that's what keeps us from making the first move. And actually, here's, here's the killer. This kills me. When you really look at pride under the surface, it's, it's hiding fear. You find somebody that can't say they're wrong. You find somebody that, um, that won't listen to you. All of that's uh, masking massive insecurities in their life. When we're afraid, when we fear being rejected, we build up this wall of pride and pride causes us to disconnect from others. So if that's true, what's the key to reconnecting? Well, it ought to be obvious. Humility. Humility is the, is the key. First Peter 5.5 5 says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Years ago, we talked about dressing for success. That was the big deal back in the day. Dressing for success. So if you wanted to be successful, you had to put on the right kind of clothes so that you look good, so that you could be successful. If you want to dress for success in relationships, try putting on an overcoat of humility, and watch what happens. You know the Bible says in, in Proverbs fifteen one, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever seen that? You ever been able to keep your cool and and talk in a gentle voice when somebody's going nuts?o It doesn't take them long to realize that you know they need to calm down because. It, Here's something else I've seen. When we get into an argument, we tend to match each other's level of hysteria. If I elevate, you have to elevate to match me because you don't want to be dominated by me. But if I come down with grace, every time I've seen other people come down with grace. Make sense? So we've got to be humble. Philippians 2.3 says, don't let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. What is humility? Humility is not putting yourself down. Oh, woe is me. The old Eeyore thing. Oh, nobody loves me. That is not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. See the difference? Humility says, I'm going to think of you more than myself. And when you focus on their needs, their hurts responding, listening to them, that's humility. When, in, when instead you are formulating in your mind how you're going to get even, that's pride. And pride is going to cause you to disconnect. So you've got, you got to be careful with how you respond. Humility allows us to say those crucial nine words that we talked about last week. Y'all remember what they were? What was the first phrase? I love you. I love you. What was the second phrase? I was, wrong. I was wrong. Three of you, remember. Boy, I did a good job. I was wrong. And the last one was, I need help. help. Proud people do not say those words. But a grace-filled, humble heart allows you to go to somebody and say, man, I screwed up. And you watch what happens. It drains out of the relationship when you admit that you're wrong. It drains tension out of that relationship. Secure people can say, I was wrong. Secure people can say, will you forgive me? I I hurt you and I was wrong. Insecure people can't. Alright, there's a third thing that disconnects us from others. Pride disconnects us from others. Fear, insecurity disconnects us from others. The the last thing is hurt disconnects us from others. Proverbs 18, 14 says, The will to live can get you through sickness. But look at this. No one can live with a broken spirit. Ever seen someone with a broken spirit? Folks that don't want to live anymore? In in counseling, one of the things they, they teach you to do is... Find out if, some, if the person who's distraught can laugh at anything. Because if you can find something, something that makes them smile or laugh, there's hope in them. But if they can't smile or laugh, they're almost completely out of hope. They're almost completely without the, the will to live. And, and they're in serious danger right then. The emotional damage that, that takes place through our words and our actions is unbelievable. You remember the, the thing, sticks and stones might break my bones, but what? Big fat lie. <laughs> words can do far more damage than sticks and stones. I had a broken pinky once in football. I had the weirdest injuries, broke my nose once, and cuts, bruises, all this stuff. That stuff heals in a matter of days. I can still remember hurtful things my mom said to me when I was 7, 8, 12, 13. You can too. The people that are most important to you have hurt you a lot of times. And, and you've got to be real careful about that. Because what we do a lot of times, we try to put a band-aid on this massive gaping wound. And we don't pay real attention to it. And we never get healed from it. And here's the danger. Unexpressed hurt turns into resentment and resentment will kill you and it'll kill your relationship. Hurt never ended a relationship, but resentment does. And when you hide that stuff and you don't deal with it, it becomes resentment and it will kill your relationships. The key to reconnecting then is forgiveness. If you don't get anything else I say today, you've got to get this. Because when you do not forgive others, you are being chained to the past. You are letting them have power over you. They've probably moved on, forgotten about it, but, they, but you are still tied to the past. You are chained to that person, and the only way you will ever get free is if you forgive. And you've heard that, that, that old saying, time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. You ever been sitting in a doctor's office for hours? Did you get well, waiting? No, you probably got worse. Time does not heal all wounds. Now, you've got to learn to forgive. And and why should I do that? There's two main reasons why you should forgive. Number one, Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And He has forgiven you far more than you'll ever forgive anyone else. Because He was perfect. And every time we sin, every time we hurt one of His creations, we hurt Him. And you just, I mean, if we were to go back and add it up, far more damage that we've done in our relationship with Christ than anybody has ever done or could ever do to us. So the first reason, Christ forgave us. Second reason, it's the only way that you're ever going to get over your hurt. Now, it's not a matter of deserving. I didn't say anything about they deserve to be forgiven. You didn't deserve to be forgiven by God. And so anytime I have trouble forgiving somebody, I just go back and I show that that mental image, or sometimes I look at it, of Jesus being nailed to the cross, and He did that for me, and boy, when I'm standing there, it doesn't make it, it makes it very hard to hold on to my anger towards someone, or my hurt towards someone. So, the only way you're ever gonna get well is to forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Bible also says in that famous chapter on love, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's in 1 Corinthians 13. So here's a question. Do you keep a record of wrongs? Do you have this little register in your mind of all the things somebody's done to hurt you so that when you do something wrong, you can use that list as you know, justification? Well, and you got the little you know, cash register tape <clears throat> and it rolls across over there. Well, you I may have done this, but look at all you did to me, so mm, get over it. Um, Anytime we do that, we're being unloving. If you keep a record of wrongs, the Bible says that is the opposite of love. Love keeps no record of wrongs, so keeping a record means you are unloving. You're going against what God says. And you're going to disconnect rather than connect. So, okay, here it is. Here's, Here's where we're going. Who do you need to reconnect with? Somebody is popping into your mind right now that there is a problem in your relationship and you need to reconnect with that person. Some of you need to walk out of the door today after we finish and you need to go call somebody, you need to go to somebody's house and begin reconnecting with them. Go, and one of the things we talk about in recovery is when you go to somebody to ask for forgiveness, say I was wrong or whatever, do not expect anything from them. That's that's Conditional. What what will heal you is if you go to that person unconditionally, not expecting anything, realizing that you are putting the ball in their court and they are responsible to God for how they respond. They're not responsible to you and you are not responsible for how they respond. You are responsible for your own actions. And if you will go to them and say, I was wrong, I need forgiveness. Or, you know, you may have to say, I forgive you. Um, God will do some amazing things in your life. Now... What is it that's holding you back from doing that? What's holding you back from reconnecting with a parent or with a child or with a spouse or with a friend, sister, an ex, husband or wife that you're estranged or separated from? You may be living in the same house, but you're in two different worlds, two different universes. Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it resentment? Now, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you an opportunity right now just to pray this prayer silently. Let's just all close our eyes for just a second.